0: Good morning. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are in your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Good morning, everybody. It's a cold day in Florida. makes me laugh because my guest is from Massachusetts and her heat wave is what my cold wave is today. So it's just kind of (laughs) funny because this morning at 6 o'clock when I was, my my husband was getting up and out and I heard my sprinklers going on and I'm thinking, it's cold in Florida. I wonder if I can make snow in my yard today. (laughs) I am like, what an idiot, Deb. But you know, if it's one of those old Yankees, you you want to see snow every now and then, I just thought, well, wouldn't that be funny if my sprinklers at 39 degrees outside would make snow and it doesn't but my (laughs) dear friend and guest today victoria has okay let me see this victoria (laughs) erensdorf Aaronsdorf. i know that welcome from massachusetts i'm so glad to have you here today
1: thank you i'm glad to be here debbie it's an honor
0: well, it's fun because I um, I was looking at some of the things that we were going to talk about, and then I started reading, after we talked last night, I started reading about the Felden Craze. Felden craze? See, I've got to get my, my verbiage down today. About the method and about Moshi. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's so much more to this that we could talk about. And we started to do that with one of our guests earlier. But before we jump into what your calling is today and what you do today, because I think it's really, really important, I'd like to go back a little bit, because my show is about standing up and speaking up and trying to figure out who people are, where they came from, what, kind of, what some of their, their past has been about, so that, and what it has done to propel them to where they are today. So it's a lot of questions all in one statement. So <laughs> welcome from Northampton, Massachusetts. Have you always been from up north?
1: No, Debbie. Actually, I, I grew up in east central Iowa Ooh. on a farm about four miles west of Chicago, um, an hour west of the Mississippi River. So, um, a lot of people don't know where Iowa is. It's just below Minnesota, and it's, it's about 1,000 miles from western Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved, um, I started to study in Iowa. I worked for two years after high school. I didn't think I was smart enough to go to college, and money was tight, and I kind of had been... Uh, a bit of a pistol in high school so i didn't want to waste money in college if i didn't know what i wanted to do so i worked for two years and then and then i realized that i really did want to go to college and started and worked started in a really interesting program called university year for action which is connected to the peace corps and vista and we were the first of a three-year pilot program and i kind of think that that may have been the only three years of that program So there would be a different group in each year. So it was at the local community college, and we were introduced to all different kinds of disabilities. And people would come to speak with us and teach us uh, over the first two weeks after we did actually some really cool human potential things. And I, um, well, I I found out last night I have something in common with Cicely Tyson that someone asked her, are you a model? And she went in to... uh, explore being a model. And then someone else asked if she was an actor and she decided to go go in that direction without any formal training. So, um, I, when we were being introduced to the different disabilities, a man asked if someone was speaking about sign language and deafness and hard of, people who are hard of hearing. And he, uh, I volunteered to come up and he said, how would you sign house? And I made, you know, a gesture. And he said, you would be really good at sign language. <laughs> and that was my path for the <laughs> next 15 years or so, 10 years, I'm not sure exactly how long, including the time of learning. And so then I moved to Western Maryland College and the, um, declared my own major, which had never been done at that college. It's now McDaniel College, actually 30 miles northwest of Baltimore, 50 miles straight north of D.C. The connection to D.C. was important because I ended up at Gallaudet College, too. Mm -hmm. So I designed my major in sociolinguistics and American Sign Language Communication and got my bachelor's degree from... Uh, what's now McDaniel College and uh, spent a whole semester at Gallaudet and another four months of working in the linguistic research lab. So I was just about to uh, go in the direction of getting my doctorate in sociolinguistics and, and sign language at Georgetown University when Uh, professor from my undergrad school I was a senior and I couldn't walk very well I was crawling to bed often at night and like kind of bumping down the stairs or bumping up the stairs on my on my bondoon on my bottom and um, uh, because I had so much pain in my knees and I had had Lyme for a year at that point but I wouldn't know it until 2009 that was 1978 well, I got the Lyme in 1977, so so I um, my professor introduced me to uh, took me to a Feldenkrais class, and I was like amazed because no one had ever been able to help me with pain. And that first hour class in Washington D.C. in Georgetown, um, that was an hour and fifteen minutes from our school. This man was very generous to drive me down, and um, <clears throat> that was the beginning then of my. My next career, which I would uh, interpret American Sign Language for a while, until I became a Feldenkrais practitioner. And I thought I would serve the deaf community, but I would have needed to stay in a big city. Actually, hindsight—it took some years to realize that <laughs> I mean, um, because I moved to a more remote area. In fact, yeah, so where there weren't so many deaf people here. And um, but it's been my pleasure to move. I moved to Massachusetts in 79 and began to study in the Feldenkrais training in 1980. Dr. Moshe Feldenkrais came from Israel in 1980 and 81. We had a four-year training, and he was in his late 70s when he came to teach us a group of 225 people at Hampshire College in Western Massachusetts, and we studied for four summers with him and his teachers.
0: It's an, amazing, it's an amazing program. I'd never heard of it prior to you mentioning it on a WPN, a Women's Prosperity Network, call one time. And we're going to jump into that. But um, going back a little bit, I, I picked up that you said, first off, a couple of things, which I thought was interesting, that you weren't smart enough. And obviously that's not true, but those you know, not enoughs came mm-hmm. popping out of you. Um, right. And then you said that you were a pistol as a
1: child. Describe what is a pistol in your oh <laughs> view. what did you do I don't know how much I should make public <laughs> <laughs> um I think I was really an unhappy teenager, which I think most of us think we were really unhappy teenagers. Mm-hmm. So that's not an unusual thing. But I, my family's house had burned down on the farm when I was twelve and a half, and I was the last survivor out of the house. And my youngest brother passed away. Seven of us uh, made it out at two o'clock in the morning and twenty-three degrees below zero. We're talking about it being cold, and and the high high winds. It was probably fifty or sixty below with wind chill. Um, so i i think that we were all so traumatized and we didn't talk a lot and i i internalized a lot of my and i had some uh, my father had to throw me out of a second story window to save my life and then dive out head first himself and we both landed on cement you know my mother screamed and and got me out of the vicinity quickly um so that then he had a place to land uh but it was a a challenging way to go into adolescence i think you know i and no one really talked about trauma at that time so i was mad i was mad you know i ended up uh, i thought i would never ever smoke some of my friends came up we were in seventh grade and they smoked when they came to visit me on the friday before i about i had been in the hospital for four days i thought oh, how could they smoke i mean i hurt so much from the smoke inhalation and i had pneumonia and uh, burns on my hands and uh, you know cuts and bruises but nothing broken which is amazing but my knee started swelling a few weeks later and I got shingles right around that same time and a few other rashes so I was challenged with a lot of physical things and um, by the time I was 16 I had intense hip and low back hip pain that went quickly into low back pain and doctors just couldn't uh, sedate. So they, they thought I would grow out of it at 25, or they didn't know what it was. Some years later, I had a muscle biopsy. They figured it must be a muscle disease, so but it wasn't. So, um, so in high school, I just I was a you know baton twirler because that was the closest thing I could do to dancing, and I was a cheerleader for a short time, I think only, and then I had to stop those things because of the pain. But but I did love moving, and I actually interestingly twirled fire baton oh um, in my second year or so I was really afraid of it and it was beautiful to watch and I I, um, I championed I, I you know was able to meet my fear and actually twirl fire baton which was beautiful and it was really a fun thing to work with um, but I also was drinking and doing some drugs and um, I was done with drinking and drugs by the time I was 18, but I was a pistol in high school.
0: Well, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's interesting that you brought up your home fire because that, you know, we have the same story because that happened when I was 15. Um, yeah. I was not at home, so I, you know, that when you were talking about how your dad threw you out the window, um, my parents describe my brothers and I were right down at church, um, but my mom describes that feeling. And when she, they were, you know, dad had started the car, mom had started the car and and left it and then went into the home, uh, into our house. And from downstairs, they could see outside, it was nine o'clock at night, they could see the the light, the the sky was bright orange. And they ran upstairs and my dad wanted to go in the garage and get the car out. My mom apparently was screaming at him like, no way. And we, the only thing that I lost a, a kitty cat. Um, I'm very sorry about your brother, um, but the trauma of that—I mean, I was leaving to go away to school two weeks later, and had nothing. So yeah, I know about the angry teenager, and you know, I went away from went away from home because I was going to boarding school, and had none of the stuff that you know, none of my, all my stuff was out, and it was smoke damage. I still to this day hate that smell. I don't know about you, but the, yeah the smell of, of wet smoke damaged stuff. It's, it brings back all those memories. Um, but what it did teach us and you too, cause you went through that whole, you know, being angry and wanting to do stuff is that, to be very resilient though. Um, for me, it was not to value stuff. It was to value family mm-hmm. and, uh, and I can hear that in your voice too—that family was important. Um, but and we all did our drinking and running around that stuff. You know, we don't say it too loud because you don't want the grandchildren to hear. Forget the kids; the kids are <laughs> keeping stories themselves. But we learned about it, and it's something. But and I and I took from this too that you always wanted to be a, a helper. Um, at one point, didn't you tell me that you wanted to be a nurse? How did, where did I hear uh, that yes, from? Yes,
1: actually, that was uh, that was my first intention going to the community college. I thought uh, school was starting in a few weeks, and I thought oh, I'll just join the nursing program. You know, I I didn't think we had many choices of what mm. we could be, and, and women in my family were either home or or uh, teachers or I, I had a I had a little phrase. Well, I didn't really want to be a bored housewife or a tacky teacher or a nerdy nurse, so I took. <laughs> Typing classes in high school to be a sexy secretary. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm grateful with the computers these days, and I did take typing that's the, classes. But <laughs> that's the one so, like, skill my.
0: y'all, oh, I don't mean to talk over you. That's the one skill my grandma taught me when I was 13, and I was sitting in her basement with one of those little. It was the the old black typewriters with little little keys, and then we went to the Celestric. But I can type so yeah. fast now. And I really yeah am so grateful <laughs> for my grandmother.
1: <laughs> That's really great.
0: There you go. Sexy, sexy secretary.
1: <laughs> yeah. So then about four years later, I'm two years out of high school or so, and, and I thought, well, a nurse, you know, that would be because, you know, I, I needed nursing and I appreciated the nurses. And, and uh, yeah, and I, I, I really did it out of um, thinking that there was, I couldn't think of anything else. Yeah, I had actually thought about maybe joining the navy, or and uh, a friend of mine, and a former boyfriend of mine, talked quickly talked me out of that. But um, so when I went to the nursing school, they were like, "We're full." I'm like, "Well, what do you mean?" I, I wanted to join. <laughs> so then another friend, I went went and told him. I said, "The school, my my uh, my plan is." is uh ruined i can't be go to nursing school and he said go talk with this woman i just heard about another program at the same college and so that's how i got into the university year for action there was 17 of us in that program and it was a really really a great thing because we were paid 108 dollars a month by the way we were paid um to learn to bring uh support the Dis- community of people with disabilities and bring them kind of out of the closet in a sense and bring them into the community physically and also create a newsletter to help connect people and then we each had our own individual project and mine was American learning American Sign Language very very beginning stages of learning American Sign Language it's a complex beautiful language and um And then I and one of my closest friends, or I would say my closest friend in the program who now is my sister-in-law, she and I made a video, um, and this is my project, that she helped me with with puppets and at times with puppets and at times just with our sitting, talking to each other with our very rudimentary sign language to introduce the idea of American Sign Language and deafness to kindergarten through second graders.
0: Hmm. Well, it's an amazing skill. And in today's world, uh, there, there's a sign language, there's a, what do you call them, signers? Um, they're everywhere. In every broadcast, in every news report, there's someone oh, doing yes, sign yes, language, yes. Which, which is, I, I think, yes. interpreters, interpreters, I think, mm-hmm. having a senior moment. Yeah, the interpreters, it's an, it's an amazing skill. Um, and I love, we've got some of the children at church, that, you know, when they, when they sing, they'll sign. And, and they've taught the other children how to do that. And I think that's really great because that's one less difference. You know, if you learn how to do something, then you're not different from the other person. And, and that's, I find, so important. We're going to dive in because I know a lot of people are wondering, you know, when I put the, um, the introduction or the announcement out about, about you being my guest today, uh, it was live in your best body. And how can we walk with more freedom and ease? And what does our posture say? And, and as I'm reading that, <laughs> I'm bending over my desk, um, <laughs> which I think we do. You know, we just normally just kind of slump over Absolutely. our, our yeah. desk, which doesn't make you feel any better. So kind of walk me through um, those of us that are sitting at our desks and, and, you know, entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs at home, not getting out anymore. Um how, how do we better what do we do to better feel better basically what do we do to feel better and then we're going to get into the whole process of Feldenkrais
1: well Moshe Feldenkrais developed these beautiful movement sequences and which are fantastic in and of themselves there's two aspects to the Feldenkrais work we we teach group classes um, or now I teach single people on zoom um all over the country and i also do some hands on the other aspect that's called awareness through movement the other aspect of the the hands-on work is called functional integration and we work on a low table about the height of a chair looks like a massage table but it's the height of a chair and wider and not so padded so people can actually feel themselves um so and when we're at the desk in the old days we used to say that, that being in cars and vacuuming were kind of the two two of the hardest things that everybody did just about on the body. And now without any doubt the computer has taken that, you know, way over. The computer is so hard on us and being at the desk and things and you know, of course just getting up and moving is helpful. But then if we know how to sit at the desk and not in the correct way, but just in, in a way that's more um, functional that we can be less hard on our bodies, and we can begin to detect small differences in what it is, that, and know what it is that we're doing. And when we know what it is that we're doing, we can do more what we want. You know, like how, where are my legs? Where are my feet in relation to my knees and my pelvis, and my knees in relationship to my pelvis, and um, and do my knees hurt right now? And if I sit sit up a little bit more with my heels below the knees and my knees wide apart, my feet at the same width apart and then my pelvis can be more and it often is also really useful to sit forward in our chair or in a soft couch I mean sometimes we just want to sit on a soft couch and lean back and watch a movie or read a book and that's fine as long as we're supported in kind of an even way and and just everything is if your back is rounded and and everything is more kind of integrated still but if you're sitting up and we're rounded have a rounded back that's really hard on our neck really hard on our back and can be hard on our hips and our knees Um, so we want to find a way that we can we can uh, be with our pelvis more perpendicular, and in this country, we're not even very aware of our pelvis, you know, kind of uh, hula hoops and and Elvis Presley, then we saw pelvises or with Latin dancing, and there's more and more Latin dancing, so then, you know, we're learning to move our pelvis, but... um, to gain more mastery of our whole body and find how our ribs can be moving so much more and rather maybe even the idea of rather than a rib cage that we have a rib basket that's softer and much more mobile and you can imagine that if we were living inside of a stiff rib cage which most of us do and at 23 when I got to Feldenkrais my ribs I was like my whole body was kind of like a block of Of cement or block of wood it was just really pretty immobile (laughs) and so it was kind of no wonder I had so much pain but um, uh, and that was a gradual undoing of all of that and and uh, and I may also have a connective tissue disorder or syndrome that complicates things but but um, when we're sitting at the desk we can sit in ways that really help us feel well rather than the opposite you know and uh and by the way when we're at the computer and our eyes are on the computer our whole cranial sacral system gets locked down so the the cerebral cerebral spinal fluid that's moving around the spine and around the brain or up and down the spine and around the brain that gets kind of locked and so it's really good to move our eyes and head more really good to again move our whole body more well, as
0: you're as you're saying all these things, I'm sitting here. Okay, I'm undoing my ankles I, or my you know my knees were were crossed initially. Now I'm sitting there. I'm sitting up it's a little bit straighter. I do have a pillow back behind my lower back, because I grew really nice. fast when I was a kid and my back is my lower back has always been weaker than anything else. Um, so I have that there, which kind of throws my my. Shoulders forward, and I guess you got. Know, that's when you got to. But my daughter would say, "Mom, put the girls back. You know, put your put your shoulders back." Um, but it does make a difference sitting in the front of your chair versus the back or leaning over. Because I mean, I've got dual screens here, and I'm at the desk a, a lot during the day. I do get up and move, but at the end of the day, you know, you're exhausted from sitting down, which. Was it? Someone said that sitting is the new cancer or sitting is whatever it is because the all of smoking. us are doing it. The new it smoking, I think. The new smoking. Yeah, yeah. sorry, <clears throat> it's true. So, that you know, you had said something early about, you know, a, a little practice that maybe we could do even while we're sitting here because I know when you started talking about that, I started moving, you know, and I've heard of look up. Um, I just did that so I go away from the microphone. But if you look up, you know, you strengthen your neck. You pull your head back. Give us a little bit of a, I forgot what you would called it earlier, maybe a little, uh, oh, shoot, just go for it. How, make us feel better as we're sitting here because I know the women that are here listening are going to move and do what you tell us to do
1: great great so I I, I need to introduce just a little bit in a sense of that it's a different kind of movement it's much more gentle and slow than almost everything we've ever done so we can when we slow down our movement then we can I want to say deepen our awareness. I want to say heighten our awareness. And both are true. So we're increasing our awareness. We're activating our awareness. And we're learning to be curious. Like what is it like if I move like this? And what is it like if I move like this? So um, uh, it's, and when I can't see everybody, I'm just going to say go more slowly <laughs> and go more slowly <laughs> no. still. But yet it has to have enough of a speed that it's not so... uh stilted either. So that's, that's for each of us to find, and the more movement sequences we do, the more we develop and refine this ability. So, so if um, anyone wants to stand up, you're welcome to stand up. Or if you want to sit forward on that, the first three inches of your chair, a hard chair is ideal. I'm sitting on the very front of the couch. I, Debbie, I also was sitting back. I had my knees crossed, and my knee was not feeling well, one of my knees. And, um, and now that I'm forward, my knees feel neutral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my mother at one point said, you know, if I just sit the way you tell me, my knees don't hurt at all. <laughs> and she had long-standing uh, health issues as well. So, um, so come forward and then just see if you can find a way to sit tall without sitting straight or without sitting correctly. So we're just going to sit upright and just take a moment and kind of scan how does that feel or we're standing tall. But again, not holding ourselves in any kind of our ideas of correct posture. And Moshe Feldenkrais many, many times said to correct is incorrect. So when
0: I'm throwing my shoulders back, that's actually making my back feel funky. So I want to just relax the shoulders.
1: Yeah, beautiful. I'm so glad you brought that up, Debbie. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, just relax the shoulders. When I got to Feldenkrais, I was holding my shoulders back, and you know that was like 1978 when I came to Feldenkrais, and we a lot of us were you know braless at that point, and I I thought I can just hold my shoulders back, I can hold my girls, <laughs> I don't need them, I don't need a bra, and I was small, so it, that actually was okay, but um but I was squeezing my shoulder blades together in the back and and just stiff i was so stiff everywhere and learning to allow my shoulders to come forward i felt like a like an ape or a monkey that my fingers were just going to be dragging on the floor <laughs> you know? it felt so foreign um and uh and i stood also with my uh, very hyperextended. my legs were bent bent backwards more than you can even imagine um so now when i stand you know my whole body is more over my feet my shoulders aren't behind my feet my my knees aren't behind my feet my pelvis isn't for so all those different things and and we can't and that brings up something too we can't always we can't know exactly what it is that we're doing in the sense of like what muscle am i using what you know what should i be what should i be doing here so again we're just looking for more natural movement And Moshe is talking about returning each human being to their own natural dignity. So as you stand or sit, just bring up your right arm. But if it's not comfortable to bring up your right arm, bring up your left arm and just transfer my directions to the other side. So bring up your right arm easily. Letting your uh, arm be forward. You know, pointing to the wall directly in front of you. It's easier if you square yourself off in the room. And then let your hand drop a little bit. And now bring your arm back down, because it might already be tired. And then slowly bring your arm back up and see if you can do it even easier this time. And then start to take your arm to the right and back. So you just go a little bit to the right, whether it's 6 inches or 12 inches, and come back to the middle, and again, bring your arm down. And notice, are you holding your breath or are you breathing? So a goal is to find ways to, movement, to move that do not interrupt our natural rhythm of breathing. And bring your arm up again, and this time take your arm a little bit to the right, and just see how, notice how easy the movement is in the beginning. Come back to the middle and bring your arm down. And again, bring your arm up and notice how easy that first part of the movement is. And try to feel where it becomes less easy and stop there. And notice where your hand, your soft hand, notice where your soft hand is pointing and come back to the middle and come down. So again, bring your arm up and take your arm to that place where it just starts to get a little harder and maybe even come. Uh, reverse in a little bit and look again where your arm is pointing or your hand and come back to the middle and bring your arm down to pause and have a rest for a moment and try to stay with the same side if you can you can also always do everything in your imagination bring your arm up again one more time and look at your hand as you move and just notice do you go a little bit past that place that you first were going? Maybe you were already looking at your hand. And then bring come back to the middle and let your arm come down to the side. And let yourself breathe. And if you want, you can even, when you raise your hand again now, and start to turn as you exhale, looking, watching your hand And just notice where you go. You might go the same amount or a little further. Come back to the center. So in Feldenkrais, we're pretty much always in movement. So we're not holding a movement like in yoga or Tai Chi. Well, Tai Chi is more moving. Um, In Feldenkrais, by the way, we're often lying down on the floor. Sometimes we're sitting, sometimes we're standing, and the majority of the lessons probably... 85 or 90% of them are lying down on the floor, so we're not using our anti-gravity muscles <coughs> so habitually, and then we can find more free ways to move. Now this time, as you take your arm to the right, turn your head to the left, and do that a few times, <coughs> resting anytime you want. So bringing your arm up, turning your head to the left and your arm to the right and bringing your head and arm back to the middle at the same time i'm resting almost in between each movement but you don't necessarily need to and pause just for a moment even a quick pause helps us to learn to move in new ways that we can let go of our habitual way of moving and um, open to new possibilities and we're literally creating new pathways in the brain so firing new neurons bringing your arm up easily again now look look at your hand and turn to the right and see how far you go and notice how much further you go than you did at first and then come back to the middle try it again either after a rest of your arm or just leaving your arm up. Either way. <coughs> Excuse
0: me. Did you go further, Debbie? Yeah, it's very simple movements. And uh, it is interesting, though, because when I moved my head to the left the first time, my neck was like, what are you doing? You know, is <laughs> that muscle on my neck? Like, i going from the right to the right, and then all of a sudden I'm going to the left. But now that I've done it more than once, it's like, that's not hurting at all. And in, what I'm thinking yeah. too is that we're not talking about a lot of weightlifting here. This is very smooth, simple motion.
1: Right, right, right. Which any of us can do. And it increases our flexibility in ways that stretching never will. And um, and stretching also creates a bit of microscopic bleeding in the muscles, and then they need to heal, and then they then they can thicken up, which is how people get thick muscles with mate, weightlifting, right? So. By, by using the muscles in a more natural way, we length, let them lengthen. And then we can, we literally, I'm, I'm 5'10". Debbie, I think you're tall too, right? I'm 5'8". Yeah. yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> so I grew fast in, in 19 years too, and it did create some also physical problems. And I'm still 5'10". Mm-hmm. So you can be 5'8 again. And, and whatever people's height is, most, Dr. Moshe Feldenkrais said, people do not need to get shorter with age. They, we, we do not need to get thinner-lipped. You know, that our lips can stay thick, our height can stay what, we were, what we've been at most of our adult life. And I can tell you how dynamic our height is. When I have injuries or when I've been in a bad car accident and I've had a, a, some different kinds of injuries, um, I, I get shorter. And then when I do more Feldenkrais, my stove becomes too short. My broom even becomes too short. <laughs> so it's really interesting how dynamic our height is when we don't, we don't know. And, we, and also our hearing, our vision, we, they change much more than we realize. <clears throat>
0: Well, I didn't realize I was getting shorter till my daughter was here, and she's five eleven, and she's like, "Mom, you're getting shorter." I'm like, "No, I'm not." You know, that's kind of my banner of, you know, I'm a tall mom, <laughs> and uh, shortest one in the family now, except for my mother. Um, but she put me up against the wall, and we measured it, and I'm like, "Well, shoot, I <laughs> have lost right. an inch."
1: It's disappointing, and it's also, <clears throat> excuse me, it's also um, not as healthy right? So we want to keep as much movement, as much, I'm sorry, sorry, as much space in our joints, as -hmm. much space between our vertebrae as possible as we age. We don't, and we also don't want to begin to have a rounded upper back. Um, And that changes, by the way, if people even have a rounded upper back now, uh, some people have come to me and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not so sure, am I going to be able to help, help her? And it, Oh, I, I haven't had anyone who, who wasn't helped with a, what's called a kyphosis, you know, where their back is really rounded at the top. I mean, if it's very, very serious, it may not go completely straight, but it will, it will become longer and people can gain much more feeling of well-being.
0: Well, I think we feel that. I mean, I, I know the last few years, I can feel that. And that's why I said I consciously tried to put my shoulders back, put the girls out. Because um, I, I think part of it for me came as uh, as a young woman growing so tall so quickly. You know, and yeah. you might have felt this too. We were always taller than the guys. And so you want to kind of shrink so that you're not taller than the guys.
1: Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I grew later. So I didn't have that issue. You know, I, I right? wasn't the tallest girl in the class until I was like a freshman and sophomore in high school. Hmm. Wow. Well, uh, so is <laughs> Because the girls who grew faster did that whole thing of shrinking. Yep. And, and uh, the, I mean, the girls who grew sooner, not faster, but sooner. And I think I grew four or six inches between my freshman and, in, during my freshman and into my sophomore year. So there was a lot of growth. Yeah, for a body to handle, right? But, but you and other girls who grew tall in, your sixth, in sixth grade, then that was a whole, it, that brings another whole level of different um, body image issues than, Absolutely. What, than what I dealt with, yeah, you know, yeah. or women with really large breasts, you know, the body issues that come with that. Mm -hmm. Um, and trying to not be so large, especially when it was usually very early. And they're just girls, you know. So it's a lot to deal with those kind of body changes, right? So Feldenkrais does um, create a, a new kind of more free body image. It really does return us to a natural joy, and it's a process. It's not a... It's not an instant thing. Mm -hmm. Then that said, sometimes people feel, or very often, people feel so much better in the first awareness through movement lesson. We had the... We have the uh, letters ATM long before the banks did. (laughs) And so we call it ATM classes and then the functional integration, the individual work. Um, People often feel better the first time. And sometimes it takes more time, especially if they've had more pain. Now come back to that position to the front of the chair or standing up. And now bring your arm up again. And this time, keep your nose forward. Take your arm to the right as you look to the left. So not moving your head, but just moving your eyes opposite your arm. So your arm is going to the right and your eyes are going to the left and your arm and eyes come back to the middle at the same time. And this is not going to be easy. So it's, this work is also about being willing to learn, being open to being uncomfortable, sometimes not knowing what you're supposed to be doing, or not knowing exactly how to do it. And that's fine, even though it is a little bit of uh, discomfort creates a little bit of discomfort for most of us. Um, On a more like an emotional level, right? Or like, I should know this, I should know everything, I should be right, I should. So you're taking your eyes to the left. And actually, if you want, just let your hand rest and keep your head forward and take your eyes to the left and then back to the middle. And see if you can let your eyes follow like on the horizon, or I have a a white brick wall in front of me that surrounds this wood stove, and so I have a line on the on the bricks that I can just follow to the left, or you can imagine a ship sailing, or maybe you have some kind of line in the wallpaper or something in your room, or you can uh, imagine. Maybe you okay. can imagine a little animal walking across. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of a bug walking across the wall and back, and then add, um, come to the middle with your eyes and and your head was always in the middle. And now leave your head in the middle again, and just turn your eyes to the left, and you can take your arm to the right, and then bring your arm down. And now keep your eyes. Actually, no. Uh, yes. Uh, now raise your arm again, and let your eyes and your head and your arm, everything go to the right. And just go as far as what's easy. So maybe you're going further, or maybe you've realized that you've been pushing it and you don't want to push it anymore. You want to feel good. So maybe you've gone further this time, and maybe you are not go- You haven't gone quite as far. And then bring your arm to rest once you come to the middle again. So we're always bringing our arm down from being in front of us. It's easier on the arm and now keep your eyes straight forward Debbie and turn your head to the left and back to the middle and keep your eyes forward and see if you can soften your eyes we strain our, in our eye we strain in our eyes often and there's many little muscles in the eyes behind the eyes and we want to go more and more gently well, particularly when we're, when we're at a computer all day long. Ideally, close your eyes and keep your eyes focused on that wall in front of you. You could put a dot or a star there and take your head to the left a few times or several times. So now your eyes and head are moving in opposition. And when we move in opposition, we let the movement be smaller. And we also see how we can move and still breathe and then just pause for a moment maybe keep your eyes closed another moment or two or three and notice your breath if you want you can see if you can breathe deep down to the top of your legs or breathe into your belly there's Moshe felt like there was no correct way of breathing many people are teaching breathing correct ways of breathing and he felt that if we just kept exploring our breathing we have many breath explorations um, I could tell a story about my dad regarding that actually and that we would learn to breathe more naturally and I'm and some of the breath systems are brilliant so it, it those are good things to learn too so um so but I really like one that
0: one more time I'm sorry no, no, no. I said, I really like that. And, and um, the ATM that you do, the, do you have classes? Do you, are you doing Zoom classes or how are... How are
1: I'm doing Zoom individually right now for in, individual lessons rather than okay. classes at this point. Yeah. So I'm, you know, people can, I have a website, bodywisdombodyjoy.com and people can find me there and, and have a conversation with me and see if that's something that's nice for them or that they feel that they'd like to try some Um, now I'm just going to add one more thing to the movement now bring your arm up again and now let your eyes be on your hand and your nose be on your hand and take your arm to the right and then look to the right and back to the hand so you're looking further behind you to the right and back to your hand a few times you're looking further to the right bring your hand forward and down And then one more time, bring your hand up and turn to the right and see where you go. And then come forward and come down. So this shows that our brain we have brilliant brains, Debbie. We have such amazing brains. And Moshe Feldenkrais was talking about neuroplasticity before the word even existed. He said, we can continue to change our brains no matter how old we are. And he said, in fact, older people, which I am now, (laughs) 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 I'm 66, but I mean, I'm, you know, I may get even older if I have the honor and the blessing of that. But... um, I was 23 again, as I when I started to study Feldenkrais, and I would be in a wheelchair, and I would be in so much more pain if I hadn't done this work. Mm-hmm. And and I still have some challenges from time to time. I have a big challenge right now from having the coronavirus 10 months ago, mm-hmm. and my my knee kind of imploded. It's finally getting a good bit better, but it's been a long 10 and a half months. And um, uh, so. I can always go back to Feldenkrais. I can always go back, and I have these resources. I mean, I also am doing some other work with an acupuncturist and a cranial sacral therapist. So, so it's so important that people know that they have choices to feel better. Well, and that's have- it.
0: And you, you actually um, directed me to a Smithsonian Magazine article of uh, it's actually Volume Eleven, Number Ten, January 1981, called "Teaching the Brain How to" or "Teaching the Body How to Program the Brain" is Moshi's Miracle. And I was reading about Moshe Feldenkrais, and he worked a lot, I think, and you've done this too, working with children with cerebral palsy. Yes,
1: yes. And
0: I think that's terrific. Um, and, and I loved how he put it too, that no one's a patient. Everybody's a pupil. He's teaching lessons. He wants to be a teacher. Um, and let me just really quickly read the story. Um, I, again, I want you guys to go to the Smithsonian Magazine and just read about this. But this little boy was at uh, entered into a training with, I guess, Moshi was up in Toronto. And as he approached, he, Feldenkrais, points out how the boy's knees rub together. They've been spastically locked into position for years. The doctor wanted to cut his abductor muscles," says Feldenkrais in an accent that's part Russian, part British, part Hebrew. Um, but he said the boy stops expectantly in front of Feldenkrais, who is sitting on a stool in front of the, the sitting on a stool at the foot of the cot. He tells the boy to take off his shoes. He goes, notice that his heels do not touch the floor, and he goes on and has the little boy lay down, and he starts to just. Um, check with his breathing, make sure that he's breathing because I know when you were having us do the, some of those little motions, I was holding my breath. <laughs> I'm like, That's not good. Right? We, all, we do. We, we do. do it's
1: so natural. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So then Moshi's hands move slowly down the boy's distorted body. As he's talking, he works silently for a while on the feet and the legs in a listening attitude, occasionally nodding or grunting. The little boy is listening to him. Um, he's probing sensitively to responses and connections because he's realizing that The muscles—he's working the muscles in the boy's leg, and it was just a made an amazing thing about how he uncrossed the little boy's knees and then had him push against them. And there were motions that the little boy just through his body changing things—you know, changing up a little bit—was reprogramming what his knees were going to do at the end. And so, I mean, it's a—it's an amazing article and. Yeah, and I love this too, he goes, when a, perth- when a person is healthy, it turns out that he's not ill. And he was talking yeah. about how we we name diseases. He goes, I do, not, I do know that a disease given a name, especially if it is also labeled incurable, can have self-fulfilling effects. He says, right. I also know that if a person is having trouble with his movements, I can probably improve his movements and thereby improve his health and well-being. I found that very interesting because my company is a vitamin supplement company. We work with diabetics who have neuropathy. They say mm-hmm. neuropathy is incurable. It is right. treatable. You know, and we have a vitamin supplement that is very good at, at taking away some of the pains and pins and needles of that. But I've also seen people that have been diagnosed with those things and after a while that disease becomes them. Right. You know?
1: It becomes their total identity. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a very tricky thing. There's some usefulness to having a diagnosis, and, and then there's that, that rabbit hole, kind of, and, and self-fulfilling prophecy, like Moshe yeah. said. And, and isn't it brilliant, too, that, that we work with students and not clients or patients? Yep. Yeah. Especially patients, right? Because that's—it's so much more that we're—and he said, really, we're not even the teacher. We're both learning from each other, right. and, and we're in a dance. Our nervous systems are in a dance. Even when I'm working with someone on Zoom, I can—my uh, nervous system is still very connected to that person's nervous system. I don't have to be touching someone. It's—it's mm-hmm. um, it's quite profound, a- and I—you know—I can. By just looking at how someone's moving, it's with you know. After been doing this for forty years, studying and teaching for more than forty years, I can help people pretty quickly. And again, even even long distance over Zoom, like if you just lie, explore these few ways of lying or sitting, you can re, you know reduce the strain in your low back so much. So someone someone that has suffered so it's a trauma. Very practical. So, I'm in, sorry. In- as someone that
0: has suffered trauma, uh, it's in, the, in, the, um, in my audience at SCARS, which is the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, people that have been scammed are uh, taken advantage of, let's say, in a, in a relationship, um, and they've lost things financially, emotionally, spiritually, and they are just, as I used to say, hiding under a rock. You know, we put, throw up that mask and we hide behind the smile. Um, how would this kind of a practice help us to move forward? you know, to get out of that rabbit hole and, and to try to move on with your life. Are there some simple techniques that maybe you could just in the next couple of minutes give us that will have us maybe lying down and, and, you know, people don't, you know, we hear meditation, we hear all these different things and someone's like, oh, those are too woo woo. But I mean, I felt some differences here when I was just doing those slow motions and I could hear yeah, a couple yeah. of bones crack in my neck, but give us a few quick tips on what might be the first step to helping us move forward.
1: And I will say that I very often work with women who are survivors of sexual abuse, whether it was as adults or as mostly it is that it happens that they were sexually abused as children mm-hmm. um, and by by having more comfort in our body and being touched in a way that's so respectful and so meaning, meaningful in a way of um, of that we c- Women are able to release old, and and men too, of course, are able to release the trauma. And um, usually, people are already in psychotherapy. So when people, or maybe they're doing something called somatic experiencing, and then when you combine Feldenkrais with somatic experiencing, or Feldenkrais with really sophisticated excuse me psychotherapy then then we get to create a whole new body image we get to create a new story like oh i can feel good in my body i, I can feel good in my body they maybe hadn't for one woman i've worked with she had her and she was out of school for i can't remember it was i think four or five months when she was pretty tiny because um her pelvis was either broken or hip dislocated. And she, for the rest of her life, until she came to me in her late 50s, she had to push down with her left hand whenever she sat so that she didn't sit so much on the left um, side of her pelvis, on her left hip and so that created all these other problems you can imagine if you always are you know if you're, people listening can do that sit with your left hand pushing down on the chair and your right side of your pelvis pressing more into the chair and feel what's happening in your neck and your head in your face in your chest and your back in your legs so by beginning helping her begin to have more equal um, uh, we what Seldon is doing is it's helping we call it neurological diplomacy. So it's helping the movement equal out throughout the whole body. So there's mm-hmm. not one area of the body that's more stressed. There's like there's so in a way she was holding she wasn't physically holding a fist, but Moshe used to say if you hold a fist you can't have the rest of your body be soft so Mm. in a way she was there was so much action that she could never really rest and just be her you know i've just been working with a woman who felt she was very disassociated and 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 with a series of lessons she was so grateful just to feel better and to feel more herself and to feel um, something new that she had not experienced so for every person it's very very different and um, and the lessons are it's not a cookie cutter recipe kind of way and this is why a lot of physical therapists come to train in the Feldenkrais trainings in the four-year trainings because they learn if they're open to learning something new they see that it's so much more gentle and so much more effective mm-hmm. than the kind of training that they traditionally have
0: well, I'm just thinking. You said physically, if you hold a fist, but holding a grudge or holding anger inside of you—that's basically the same thing. It's—it's it's that tension, and, and you know, and, and for me, you know, getting through the scam and whatever, the the first thing you have to do is is forgive and to let go, and that's very difficult for a lot of folks to do. Um,
1: it is, Debbie. That's beautiful. That's that's beautiful so a more metaphysical fist. And, and you mentioned meditation, and I, I've meditated since, I'm, since I came to the East Coast. When I was 22, I learned transcendental meditation, which I think is one of the best ways to learn to meditate. And uh, I, I can't explain why, but it's and then I've I've I evolved into um like a Japanese Zen meditation and some Buddhist but I have then landed on something that surprised me. I always thought I would be more Japanese Zen. But um I have an I have some Indian meditation teachers mm-hmm. from India and um but Moshe used to say you don't need to learn to meditate if you do the Feldenkrais method if you do awareness through movement Be- he said because when you're moving you cannot think of your bills you can't think of anything else true and he had a very good point and it does take you into a deep way and for a lot of people it's not easy to sit to meditate now I still meditate and in fact I've had an interruption to my meditation with a, with a brain injury um, three and a half years ago so for me it's just so fantastic to get back to meditation, and so helpful on every level—physical, emotional, mental, spiritual—and and and, um, and when I lay down and do a Feldenkrais sequence, I feel an incredible joy, and incredible, incredibly nourished in all of those ways as well. So it, we could call it instead of awareness through movement, we could call it meditation through movement.
0: Mm. Well, for those um, that. Think meditations too woo woo. <laughs> Awareness through movement is great. The ATM is great. Um, for me, you know, I find my joy is through walking. You know, walking with my husband or swimming—it's that athletic part. And um, and I did notice too that it was interesting that this has been embraced by athletes, by musicians, by therapists, by all sorts of different people. Um, it, it's just an it. It's' enlightened me and I'm really grateful and what we were talking about before we started the show too is that many of us are in that sandwich generation I used to call it we're the fluff in the uh, in the cookie mm. um, you know when we've got <laughs> our parents who are in their 80s and 90s who would really benefit from this kind of work too because it's not too strenuous but it would work their body and their minds so I would really like you know for us to get together and and maybe work work through WPN and some of our our friends that are um, of our age that have parents that are around try to work something out mm-hmm. so that we can be the conduit to our parents to go in and say let's just try this I mean my dad needs work on his balance and on his. if he had a little neuro- neurological issue uh, you know before Christmas I can hear it in his voice a little bit you know it wasn't a stroke uh-huh. but I, there was something different but I think yeah. by the body programming because he's a very physical person he really loved being an athlete drives him crazy he can't play golf anymore um, but they need to be able to move somehow to to spark that brain again. So thank you so much for, for bringing this to us and making us aware. Again, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Um, BodyWisdomBodyJoy.com, and that links to a few other sites of mine, BodyWisdomBodyJoy.com, and my phone number is right there. People are welcome to call me. Um and uh, or or leave contact information and i just want to say one more thing is that this work more than anything i've I've explored and i've explored many different modalities helps us to age better Mm. no matter what age we are right now if we start now we will age better and if we start now and we're 90 it's going to help us if we start now and we're 50 it's going to help us if we start now and working with a woman who's 33 years old and she's going to have a much better future because she's doing Feldenkrais now.
0: And it's perfect. And it, it, then it just expands into everything that we've been talking about through our finances and our, everything that we're doing You know, preparation for our security in, in the future. Because we are going to live longer and we just want to be living longer better and feeling better. I mean, I'm amazed. Right, when, right. when I look at my dad who's 91, I judge everybody by my dad and I'm thinking, well, gosh, dad's not that much older than I am. Well, he is. He's like 30 years older. But um, you never know it. You know, I'm like, I want to be like my dad. I want to be like my mom and all the old ladies, quote unquote, that I go swimming with because they're 20 years older than I am. I want to be like them. And you've got to start at 30, 40, 50, 60 and not not wait. Um, Because you see the 60 year olds who are humped over with that you know, widow's hump, as I used to call it, um, with walkers and everything else, and their life is going to be over mentally. And we don't want that.
1: And people in their 40s and 50s walking with canes and yes. and having great difficulty walking, absolutely. I love walking and swimming as well and paddle boarding. Mm-hmm. So I like to be really, really active, and I am as much as I can be. Perfect. And, it's, and that and good food and you know, going away from all the artificial sweeteners and all the artificial packaged, you know, to, to leave packaged foods as much as possible and just really eat food that looks like God made it.
0: <laughs> another topic, another day. That's perfect. So Victoria, thank you so much for being with me today, and with being with our guests. This is going to go out. It's it's a really amazing thing. Again, folks, if you want to read more, go to the Google it. Google Feldenkrais. F E L D E N K R A I S, and uh, check out bodywisdombodyjoy.com and all that Victoria is doing. Thank you so much, Victoria, for being with us I, our, as our guest again today. And thanks everybody for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated oh, Debbie, to. You. We are dedicating, uh, dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. And we didn't talk much about the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams or SCARS today, but if you are a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS is an incorporated nonprofit crime assistance organization in Miami, and I'm on the board of directors and support it with all my heart. Again, This episode is sponsored by Benfocomplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet with those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles and numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfotiamine products at Benfocomplete.com and use a special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Please go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile. This is February. This is Love Month. This is Scam Month. Be careful. I've been able to do a lot of podcasts recently. They are on there now and something's coming out on Oxygen TV, I just want you to be aware and be aware that there are scammers out there and we don't want you to be taken. So everybody stand up and speak up. Have a great day today. Victoria, thank you. Thank you all. My, my guests be with us next week as we will be with Debbie Silberman and she's talking about the scam happening to our rabbit ears generation. Very interesting. So we'll
1: we'll see you next week. Have a great day, everybody.
0: Thanks again, Victoria. Appreciate you being here. Thank
1: you so much. Bye bye.